The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in today and so glad that our guests could join us. We have Ben Collins with us, and he is the Senior Research and Policy Campaigner for the Rainforest Action Network, and he is also a graduate of the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And we're going to be talking about a topic that we've only covered peripherally so far on Go Green Radio. You know, we've talked about the need to transition away from uh, fossil fuels for our energy supply. We've talked specifically about coal and some of the problems that that can cause environmentally. Um, last week, as many of you who listen regularly know, we talked about the plight of unemployed coal miners and you know some of the programs that are helping them make a transition as well. But today, we're going to talk about the... Um, the interface between the banking industry and the coal industry and how the Rainforest Action Network has recently taken some action to ask Citigroup in particular to stop financing a couple of coal operations that we'll discuss. But before we dive into that, Ben, um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on Go Green Radio. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Well, it's super to have you as our guest, and I'm really excited to learn more about coal financing through the banking industry. And before we dive into today's topic, what I'd really like to do is have you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Rainforest Action Network and also your role in the organization. Sure. Rainforest Action Network is an environmental and human rights organization, uh, and we work to protect the natural systems that sustain life and the communities that uh, depend on them. Uh, this year, we're celebrating our 30th birthday, um, and over the course of our history as an organization, uh, we've challenged some of the largest companies in the world to stop some of the worst forms of corporate human rights and environmental abuses. Uh, we, For example, we've worked to challenge rainforest destruction by the palm oil and pulp and paper industries, uh, and also have worked to find, uh, challenge financing for the coal industry and other fossil fuel producers by the largest, largest banks on Wall Street. Uh, my role at Rainforest Action Network uh, is, uh, focuses on energy finance. I am a campaigner with our climate and energy program, uh, and I coordinate our advocacy to end uh, financing for the coal industry by some of the largest banks on Wall Street and around the world. Well, that's an important job. And congratulations to the Rainforest Action Network on your 30th birthday. That's impressive. It's not easy to have that kind of longevity in the nonprofit world these days. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are 
sustaining. Um, I'd really like to dig deeply into the role that banks play in the coal industry in America so our listeners can fully understand why your organization recently launched um, an East Coast, West Coast simultaneous protest uh, outside Citigroup's headquarters. When we say that banks finance coal, what exactly does that mean? Do the banks buy coal mines or are they loaning money to coal companies? Give us some specifics on that, Ben. Sure. And, you know, it's a great question. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Citigroup or, you know, J.P. Morgan, Chase, or other major banks isn't typically a coal mine or a coal-fired power plant. It's usually, you know, gleaming office towers or, mm-hmm. you know, ATM fees, that sort of thing. Um, but the reality of the coal industry and other fossil fuel industries is behind every coal mine, behind every coal company, um, there's a bank or two or three banks that help these companies grow, help these companies continue to operate and continue to extract and uh, burn fossil fuels. Um, these banks are providing money um, in the form of loans, in the form of uh, revolving credit lines and other sorts of corporate financial services that enable these uh, the coal industry and uh, coal-fired power plant operators to grow, to build new mines, to build new power plants, um, and in general to operate. So without the banking industry support, um, we wouldn't have a coal industry, we wouldn't have uh, coal-fired power. So it's the decisions made by banks that have a, a critical and, 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 and continuing role in uh, the, the shape of uh, where we get our energy and uh, where we're investing our money around energy as a country and, and, uh, and globally. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, just in the past, you know, few years before the big expansion of natural gas in the U.S., there was a lot of talk about and I have to say this in air quotes, clean coal. <laughs> and, and there was a lot of debate about whether there was such a thing as clean coal, but there was, you know, some hope that that, you know, that there would be some form of, of coal burning that would be less noxious. Um, were banks financing the research and development of that concept? How was that working? Yeah, and I think it's it first might be worth addressing the whole question of what does, you know, quote-unquote clean coal mean. Uh, in our perspective, there's no such thing. Coal is dirty um, from the mine to the power plant to the disposal process. Um, just to give you a picture of the, the total consequences of coal in terms of its impacts on human health and on the environment, on the economy, uh, studied by the Harvard School of Public Health estimated that the health costs, economic costs, and environmental costs of the U.S. coal industry uh, were uh, anywhere between a third to uh, half of a trillion dollars per year. That's, wow. you know, from air, you know, lung, you know, lung diseases, from water pollution, uh, from carbon emissions that are accelerating global, global warming and climate change. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's an extreme stretch of the imagination to think that you could make coal clean. Um, but it's worth digging into the specifics of what uh, the industry means when they talk about uh, cleaning up coal. Typically, it refers to carbon capture and storage, which is a proposed method 
um, to reduce the climate impacts of coal burning by essentially piping uh, the, the carbon dioxide emissions from a coal plant underground, um, ideally into like a, a deep underground storage cavern where uh, theoretically the, the gas would be trapped and wouldn't enter the atmosphere. So the coal industry has been promoting carbon capture and storage for years, saying, you know, this is the future, we can have coal, we can keep, keep burning coal without hurting, hurting the climate. Um, but right now, it's, it's still mostly theoretical. There are a couple demonstration plants here and there. They've had a lot of problems. They've typically been over budget um, and haven't proved that effective. Um, and, you know, just to give you an example of uh, one, the, the Kemper project uh, in Mississippi is you know, billions of dollars over budget, um, and unfortunately their, their plan to store carbon dioxide isn't to keep it underground, it's to pipe it into uh, a, an oil field to help an oil company extract more oil, um, which in a sense defeats the whole purpose of uh, reducing the carbon <laughs> footprint of coal if you're, if you're using the carbon to then extract another uh, fossil fuel like oil. Um, in terms of the bank, the banking sector's role in carbon capture and storage, they've typically used it uh, as a defense for financing coal. A few banks have, you know, contributed a, a little bit here and there to demonstration projects, but on the whole, uh, the coal industry has uh, been a lot more talk than action in terms of what carbon capture and storage or so so-called clean coal might mean, uh, in that there's 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 not a, a viable. Uh, way to uh, envision what this might look like going forward. So the bottom line is that, uh, you know, the, at, at least in terms of what clean coal might look like, is that uh, typically uh, clean energy technologies such as solar, wind, and energy efficiency um, are a lot more economically uh, beneficial and environmentally beneficial in that, you know, regardless of how you clean up coal, uh, it's going to be more expensive than renewable alternatives. So we're seeing the market uh, essentially drive out clean coal before it even gets a chance to get off the ground. Well, and that's encouraging. I, I mean, my... I mentioned this on the show last week when we were talking about laid off coal miners as coal industry, you know, companies are starting to go under. And I can tell you from the worker's perspective, there's nothing clean about coal. Um, And some of the health impacts of people who live around coal fire plants are magnified even more in the lungs and in the, the heart disease that is experienced by the people who are mining coal. And so far, I haven't heard any such you know, health impacts surrounding the solar industry or the wind industry. So, um, yeah, the concept of clean coal is kind of uh, a mystery to me, having been so close to coal mines my whole childhood. In the past, Ben, were most large American banks um, involved with financing coal operation? I mean, you know, was this pretty typical? And at what point did it become an issue that banks began to question, you know, like, should we do this or shouldn't we? What's the history there? Yeah, the the U.S. banking sector and the U.S. coal sector go way back. Uh, I mean, there's a, a New York Times article that was published earlier this month, uh, which uh, tells the story of how in 1902, um, J. Pierpont Morgan, the, the financier and founder of J.P. Morgan, what is now J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, helped broker a truce between coal companies and striking coal miners. And, um, and you know, the, the article refers to a letter from Teddy Roosevelt thanking uh, J.P. Morgan for, you know, helping to uh, uh, stop labor strife uh, within the coal industry. So uh, there's a long history of support um, 
for the coal industry by by major U.S. banks and, and banks around the world. Um, and you know, even more recently, uh, the biggest global banks. Uh, Financed over a quarter of a trillion dollars, two hundred fifty-seven billion dollars for the coal mining and coal-fired power industries between two thousand nine and twenty fifteen. So uh, it's a long-standing relationship, and it's a significant relationship uh, between uh, the banking and coal sectors. Uh, in terms of when banks started uh, thinking about, does this make sense? Should we continue to support coal? Uh, it it happened as a result of public pressure and market pressure. Uh, Rainforest Action Network's first came campaign uh, spotlighting the banking industry support for coal uh, ran from 2000 to 2003, so a number of years ago, uh, and prompted Citigroup to develop uh, its first environmental policy and environmental risk department to assess whether or not the bank should be financing specific coal transactions and other environmentally risky uh, transactions. Uh, still, for years and years, um, even after that campaign, uh, the response from the banking industry to Rainforest Action Network and others who were challenging them on financing coal was, hey, this isn't illegal. This is a major industry. Um, they're operating within the law, uh, and coal is a major source of energy. So we're going to continue to finance them because we finance most of the major companies uh, around around the country and around the world. Um, so for uh, for years and years, Rainforest Action Network and our, our partners have spotlighted um, the real human costs of uh, the coal industry, uh, whether in the form of mountaintop removal mining in West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, and uh, t- Tennessee, and, and Virginia, where the, where the coal industry is literally blasting off the tops of mountains dumping the waste rock into neighboring valleys and essentially uh, poisoning and displacing uh, mountain communities. Um, so that was sort of one of the ways in which um, spotlighting the links between banking and the specific uh, human and community costs of the coal industry helped change the conversation. So uh, the last few years, a few banks have started to say, okay, we're not going to finance mountaintop removal mining. Um, uh, But uh, since then, there's been increasing public pressure around climate change, around the role of banks in uh, in accelerating climate change uh, through their support for the coal industry. Uh, And uh, recently, uh, banks have started to make the calculation that this doesn't make any sense anymore. We need to move away from coal uh, because renewable energy is is a, a, a major trend around the world, and we need to get on the right side of history. So certainly banks have a long way to go, but uh, due to a mix of uh, financial logic uh, and uh, reputational risk, banks have started to to wake up to the the real dangers of continuing to finance the coal industry. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got so much more to cover on this topic, but we've got to take a quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world 
world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to go green radio with your host jill buck jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 write to us too. save some trees and send us an email to go green radio at gmail.com that's go green radio at gmail.com now back to go green radio with your host jill buck Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in to hear our topic today. It's a great topic. We're talking about financing coal and the role that the banking industry plays in um, in the whole picture of how this industry operates. And our guest today, in case you're just joining us, is Ben Collins. And he is with the Rainforest Action Network. You can check out their website while you're listening to the interview. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Open up a new tab and go to www.ran.org. And there you can see what the Rainforest Action Network is up to. You can read more about their campaigns and get involved if you'd like. Ben, I've got a question for you. I mean, is it possible for coal companies to continue to operate without backing from banks? I mean, can they make payroll based on just their revenue alone? Well, it would be a whole lot harder for coal companies to continue to operate, uh, at least on the scale that they're op- currently operating on, without the support of the banking industry. Uh, bank-, bank financing does a lot for coal companies. In particular, it helps them grow. Uh, if you need a billion dollars to build a new mine, you go to a bank. Um, and it also helps uh, these companies survive during uh, industry downturns like we're experiencing right now. Uh, a lot of coal companies across the United States are going bankrupt, um, and uh, a lot of them are operating at a loss, so they're depending on the loans, the other financial services that banks are providing them. So the banking industry really faces a choice right now. Are they going to continue to bank coal and hope for a rebound and try and revive this industry, or are they going to shift their business model and say, look, we need to move to a low-carbon economy and transition away from financing an industry um, that really is incompatible with uh, stabilizing the climate? Can they turn to foreign banks? I mean, you know, I know I've been to China several times and I know that um, some of their banks are financing coal. Or it, would that be illegal or could they do that? They can and they, they certainly are. Uh, for example, Deutsche Bank, uh, Germany's largest bank, uh, has become a major player in financing the U.S. coal industry as U.S. banks have stepped back saying, we don't want to be a part of financing this industry. Deutsche Bank has emerged as, uh, in some senses, the, the bank of last resort uh, for a lot of U.S. coal companies. Um, so it's certainly a problem that extends beyond the U.S. because, you know, 
uh, money's global and uh, banks all around the world uh, can uh, finance coal companies uh, wherever they want. Let me ask you this. Are there any U.S. banks that have completely pulled out of financing coal? Um, I'd love for you to talk to us about trends in the banking industry that you think are moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of progress in the past uh, two years or so, but certainly there's a long way to go and no bank uh, has pulled out of coal completely. Um, so just to give you a sense of trends, uh, Rainforest Action Network uh, had been uh, campaigning publicly against Bank of America since 2011, which at the time was uh, the uh, largest U.S. bank, uh, largest U.S. banker of coal. Um, and uh, last May, Bank of America, after years and years of pressure um, from Rainforest Action Network and other groups, adopted a coal, pol- a new coal policy, which committed the bank um, to transition away from. Uh, financing the coal mining industry. And uh, since then, uh, we've turned to other U.S. banks um, and our partners around the world have turned to uh, uh, other banks in Europe and elsewhere and said, look, um, this is a critical turning point for climate change and the environment with the Paris Climate Conference coming up. It's time for you to follow the lead of Bank of America and go beyond what they've done uh, and end your support for coal uh, altogether. Um, since, so since uh, last summer, we've seen a number of other U.S. banks, uh, five of the six largest U.S. banks, adopt similar policies to transition away from financing coal. Uh, European banks have also adopted uh, policies, too. So we're seeing a trend. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is these policies and commitments are flawed. Um, they commit to reduce exposure to coal mining. They don't commit to end it outright. They don't set a deadline. Um, and they also don't fully address the the other side of the coal industry, the power side, on financing for new coal-fired power plants both in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, So we have a lot of work to do. Um, We're going to be holding these banks accountable for these commitments and pushing them to go farther uh, and end their support for coal altogether. You mentioned just a few moments ago that there are some coal companies that are going bankrupt. Is that due to a lack of backing by the banks or is it due to other economic factors? I mean, there's a, certainly a lot of, there are a lot of different factors in play. A whole lot of bad news is hitting the coal industry all at once. Um, you know, certainly the banking sector uh, is, is, one, uh, is one key development. Uh, however, there, there are other trends such as uh, natural gas, which, uh, you know, low prices of natural gas in the U.S. and around the world are giving coal a run for its money in terms of uh, being the low-cost fuel. Similarly, uh, renewable energy and the falling price of wind and solar uh, has resulted in you know, wind power and, in some cases, solar power outcompeting coal on price. So coal is no longer the, 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 the you know, cheap alternative that it has been in the past. Um, and secondly, uh, coal companies have made some serious strategic blunders, at least in the U.S., over the past few years. Uh, a lot of big coal companies bet big on expansion, on new mines in 2011 when uh, the industry picture, picture looked a lot rosier than it does now, and now they're saddled with a lot of debts and a lot of uh, unprofitable coal mines. Um, and at the same time, the U.S. government is moving forward on climate, uh, adopting a clean power plan, and you know, globally with the Paris Climate Conference last year committing to hold climate change to uh, 1.5 degrees above historical uh, levels and, and well below 2 degrees, uh, it's, there's a lot of 
a lot of po- political signals and market signals uh, showing that you know there's there's really not much of a future for coal. So uh, the coal industry is turning to banks as a lifeline. So certainly banks are are critical over the next few years uh, in terms of whether these coal companies will be able to continue to operate, continue to access capital to keep going. Um, but there's a lot of bad news for coal, and it, it's clear that the the world is turning away from coal into uh, renewable alternatives. I'm curious, Ben, what happens to the banks who've been financing coal companies um, when those same coal companies go bankrupt? What happens to them? Well, I think first uh, the banks lose a lot of money, Um, but these bankruptcy processes do also provide an opportunity for banks to uh, engage in very risky and, in some cases, profitable uh, transactions. Um, So, you know, for example, Peabody Energy, the world's largest private sector coal miner, is on the brink of filing for bankruptcy. And uh, one of the last things they did over the past few weeks is draw down their credit line that banks had extended them by hundreds of millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, these billion-dollar credit lines are financed by a number of banks. But at this point, um, they are unlikely to see all of that billion-dollar-plus that they lent to, uh, loaned to Peabody Energy being paid back. So in a bankruptcy process... Uh, banks, other investors, uh, you know, whether you know institutional investors or you know your 401k retirement fund manager, um, they all sort of work, get in line in terms of who's going to have claims on the uh, the company's remaining assets. And under the supervision of a bankruptcy judge, they essentially work out uh, who's going to get what. Um, and unfortunately, in these bankruptcy processes, typically workers such as you know retired miners who depend on uh, company. Uh, the company for uh, pension payments, for uh, health care benefits, as well as the environmental obligations these companies typically take a backseat to investors. So that's a huge problem that we're, we're seeing right now. Um, and for banks, they can, although they're losing money on these loans, they can also make money um, by lending a, even more money to these companies, these coal companies, to keep them operating during bankruptcy. And at the end of the bankruptcy processes, uh, these banks can refloat the company and, and you know, uh, file, uh, help the company uh, launch a new public offering of their stock. So there's, you know, a lot of chaos going on in a bankruptcy process, but banks can find ways to profit from it if they want to. And we see that as a huge problem going forward. Well, and one of the things that I've read about, too, is that there's some concern that as coal companies go bankrupt, that, as you mentioned, some of the environmental cleanup uh, costs will actually be borne by taxpayers and, you know, government you know, agencies rather than the coal companies themselves. And that's something that um, I, I can only hope that is considered in the bankruptcy procedures. But, you know, there's no guarantee of that, I'm sure. Um, in recent years, we've seen the emergence of something called ESG metrics. And for those who are unfamiliar with that, that's uh, environmental, social, and governance metrics that companies can voluntarily report on, at least for now. Um, and generally, it's a function of their accounting. You know, you might see the chief financial officer who is, you know, uh, entrusted to do these these uh, accounting measures. And we see ESG reporting as a part of some of the new sustainability-based indices as well. Um, how influential do you think ESG reporting, particularly for banks, um, has been in prompting banks to pull back on financing coal operations? Well, ESG reporting brings a lot of 
important information to play for investors and banks. Uh, typically, uh, on the on the issue of climate change, for example, uh, companies will report on their strategies for addressing climate change as part of their environmental, social, and governance uh, reporting. Uh, and it, it, it really helps celebra- uh, separate the leaders from the laggards. Uh, and a lot of coal companies are uh, not only denying that climate change exists, but uh, financing uh, climate deniers. Uh, and so you'll see a huge difference between what coal companies are saying and what companies in other industries are saying around how they're going to address climate change. Uh, and so that, that really does um, put the... Uh, the climate performance of coal companies in stark relief when you compare them to other industries based on their reporting. But more broadly, uh, as interest in ESG investing and ESG uh, issues has uh, gained acceptance by the financial mainstream, uh, it's put banks in a difficult position. They want to be seen as leaders on ESG. They want people to invest their uh, retirement accounts through them uh, and uh, invest in their ESG funds. But at the same time, they've been financing the coal industry, which is moving us in the wrong direction on climate change and on a whole number, a host of other issues. So uh, this, you know, risk of seeing as being seen as hypocrites um, has really prompted a number of banks to reassess their relationship to coal. Um, in you know, as Rainforest Action Network and others have put them on the spot about this issue, uh, we've seen them say, "Look, you know, it's it's not worth it anymore. We need to be on the right side of." where you know, the energy sector is going, uh, and we can't afford to bank coal because we need to be seen as leaders in clean energy because that's what the future is going to look like. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that I've spoken with some banking officials, and they say, you know, when you see instances like the coal ash uh, you know, disaster that happened in North Carolina where a bunch of coal ash ended up in the river that was near one of the Duke um, facilities, you start to see that it's an increased liability to back coal as well. And at the end of the day, um, no investor wants to see that as a part of their portfolio with increased liabilities out there on the forefront. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Ben Collins. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And just in case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Ben Collins. He is with the Rainforest Action Network. And we've been talking about the banking industry and their role in keeping the coal companies going and and how financing for coal works and how things are beginning to change. Um, So, Ben, I have a question for you. Do you think that our government should get involved in how banks and coal companies work together? I mean, is there an appropriate role for our government, or is it best to just let market forces and public opinion shape the discussion? Yeah, well, for better or worse, uh, the the federal government in the U.S. has been uh, involved with the coal industry for for a very long time, and unfortunately has been giving uh, the the coal industry a free ride in a lot of ways. So, uh, for example, um, most U.S. coal is produced from federal lands um, out in the western region in the Powder River River Basin. A lot of federal land has been uh, leased to major coal companies, essentially at giveaway prices and well below the market value of what the coal is uh, coal could fetch on the open market. Um, so this leasing program, which you know we think the government should end altogether for climate reason for uh, climate reasons, um, has been a huge subsidy to these major coal companies. Um, otherwise, and you mentioned earlier the issue of self bonding, where major coal companies for for decades have been able to uh, not put up money in the form of bonds to guarantee their ability to clean up their mines and, and restore them uh, to their original environmental condition. Um, they've just said, hey, we're a big company. We have a lot of money. We make a lot of money. We'll pay for it when the time comes. And now that these companies are financially weak and on the brink of bankruptcy, and in some cases already bankrupt, these companies say, hey, we don't have the money anymore, so the taxpayers are just going to have to pick up the tab. Uh, so we see that as a huge problem. So the, as step one for the government is at least stop subsidizing the coal industry uh, by you know, ending the federal uh, leasing program for coal and uh, ending this you know, subsidy in the form of allowing coal companies to self-bond for environmental cleanup. But more broadly on the issue of climate change and energy, um, we see it as critical that the U.S. government go beyond what they've done in the Clean Power Plan and stop letting coal companies and coal-fired power producers essentially pollute for free. Uh, carbon dioxide is, is, is not, um, you know, there's no price put on carbon yet. Uh, and we see a, a critical next step for the government 
um, as as putting a price on carbon that's in line with stabilizing the climate well below two degrees and ideally um, uh, within the within the 1.5 degree limit that uh, is is critical for addressing the worst effects of climate change. I'm curious, how do other countries handle this? I know that Chinese banks are definitely involved in financing coal companies, but are there models in Europe or other regions that might be a bit more progressive when it comes to climate change policy um, that you find exemplary or maybe something that could serve as a role model for what you're describing? Yeah, well, you know, we haven't seen a country get it right, but there are a lot of countries that have uh, taken significant steps that the U.S. could learn from. Uh, for example, you mentioned China. Um, they certainly have a lot of coal power. They have a lot uh, of new coal-fired power in the pipeline. But over the past few years, they've taken a lot of major steps um, in the right direction um, by suspending hundreds of coal plant approvals uh, and shutting down a lot of their, their coal mines. So uh, we've seen China start to move away from coal and, and move towards renewable energy. So that's certainly a, an encouraging sign. Uh, other countries have moved towards a total phase-out of coal-fired power. For example, the U.K., um, is planning on closing all of its coal plants by 2025. Uh, and other countries such as Germany have embarked on essentially major uh, countrywide initiatives to transition to renewable energy. Um, Germany certainly isn't a perfect example. They still have a lot of coal-fired power, but they're uh, a not very sunny and not very windy country that has emerged as a global leader in uh, coal, uh, in uh, wind power and renewable and uh, solar power. So uh, th- we certainly see a lot of reasons for optimism um, with renewable energy uh, outcompeting coal and fossil fuels on price uh, alone, regardless of the environmental benefits of renewable energy. There's a lot of opportunities for governments to uh, take these trends and run with them and um, quickly transition away from uh, fossil fuel-based energy altogether. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to take a quick step back because I'm not sure that it's readily apparent to all of our listeners how coal financing is related to the mission of the Rainforest Action Network. So help us make that connection, if you would, please, Ben. Sure. Well, RAN's Rainforest Action Network's mission is to protect both people and the planet, Um, and that means uh, helping to... uh, stop environmental damage that impacts the natural systems that sustain life and harms communities that depend on these natural systems. So our work on coal has grown out of our organization's awareness that uh, climate change has massive uh, uh, planet-wide implications for both communities and ecosystems. You know, we can defend forests uh, as much as we can, and we continue to um, stop forest destruction and, and challenge companies that are uh, are. Uh, engaging in unsustainable uh, practices that impact rainforests. But we also are aware that unless we stabilize the climate to survivable levels, um, there are going to be so many ecosystems around the world that simply won't be able to survive uh, in a world of runaway climate change. So uh, by necessity, we're uh, also address working on climate change because it's, it's an issue that essentially um, uh, will uh, determine whether or not we can uh, address other issues that we care about. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Naturally, when coal companies go out of business, there are coal miners who lose their jobs. And these are good paying jobs. You know, they're union workers. And I feel sure that the Rainforest Action Network wouldn't work to create layoffs in the coal industry without devising some sort of a solution that's good for the families that are involved. What does the Rainforest Action Network recommend to help displaced coal miners support their families when the coal mines close? Yeah, and this is a really important question. And over the long term, um, community-based initiatives to uh, build local economies in Appalachia and other coal-producing regions that are sustainable and provide good jobs are, are, extre- are, are, are essential, uh, as are federal and state programs to uh, help um, address and transition um, people who do work in the coal industry um, to enable them to find good-paying jobs um, in other industries. Um, so over the short term, what Rainforest Action Network is doing is uh, trying to make sure that as part of this wave of coal company bankruptcies, um, the, the needs of workers and the needs of the environment aren't given short shrift um, to help uh, you know, when major investors are figuring out what are we going to do with this bankrupt coal company. So we've seen a lot of troubling trends, um, such as for the, uh, to use the example of Alpha Natural Resources, a major coal company that recently went bankrupt. Um, they've walked away from a lot of their obligations to uh, pay retired uh, coal miner uh, health benefits, um, to pay uh, retiree uh, pensions. Um, and to um, uh, reclaim their uh, the mines that they've they've been mining in terms of uh, the environmental impacts of of their mining processes. Uh, at the same time, they've been paying out big bonuses to their executives during the bankruptcy. Um, so we see this as a, as, a, as as having a totally uh, wrong priorities in terms of how these bankruptcy processes need to play out. They need to prioritize a just transition for workers and the environment. So over the short term, we're going to be engaging with banks and engaging with coal companies um, to put this question to them. They've profited um, for so long in coal mining operations and for the sake of the climate and their current and former employees and the economy, uh, we need them to do right by uh, both communities, but workers, uh, and the environment and um, put them in front of the, the interests of investors and executives. Well, and that would certainly diminish the amount of opposition that the Rainforest Action Network might experience. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, when you guys go into a community like Wyoming or Ohio, um, you know, that's that's a, a bit of a difficult conversation to have with the families who, you know, are part of the coal industry. Um You know, a lot of electricity plants have converted to natural gas versus coal because right now, at least, gas is cheap. But um, I've been reading that the uh, natural gas industry has been pushing for Congress to allow them to sell gas overseas. I mean, the reason being that, you know, a lot of European countries are beholden to Russia and, you know, the high prices or volatile prices that uh, Russian gas companies may charge. But that also means that if U.S. natural gas goes overseas and the Europeans are willing to pay more for it, that natural gas companies could charge a lot more for it domestically as well. And if that happens, do you think that some of our power plants might revert to coal and that the coal industry might rebound? Or do you think, Ben, that we're past the point of no return on that? 
Yeah, the gas export question is is a really interesting one, um, and we see it as very unlikely that uh, gas exports and liquefied natural gas uh, terminals are likely to uh, lead to a you know, resurgence of coal in the U.S. or elsewhere. Uh, you know, the bottom line is there's a lot of uh, interest in exporting gas, and a lot of companies are rushing in to capitalize on this, you know, uh, on on the difference between domestic gas prices and international gas prices. But if you look long term, we don't see this uh, these gas terminals as being competitive. Um, if you look at a country such as Australia that has recently put a lot of money into uh, gas exports, a lot of these uh, export projects are no longer profitable. They're in uh, terrible financial shape, and you know, a lot of the companies involved with them are uh, in the red financially. So for the U.S. to go down a similar road and say, let's start exporting gas, uh, we don't see that working out because even outside the U.S., there's a glut of natural gas around the world. So there's not the economics really don't line up for um, a, a resurgence of U.S. gas exports. Um, that said, the, the issue around the, uh, whether or not gas exports could impact coal, um, we don't really see it uh, doing so in that a lot of these decisions around whether to retire a coal plant or uh, invest in uh, equipment upgrades to keep it going another decade or so, these are looking at long-term trends, long-term prices. So even if there's volatility in gas prices, if you look at the regulatory landscape, the new clean power plan, um, the co- competition from renewables, and you know even slightly higher natural gas, uh, more expensive natural gas power plant, uh, fired power plants, um, you the, the numbers really don't add up for coal in the long term, so we don't really see a, a, a high likelihood of, of uh, coal plants being turned back on. Now, on March 3rd, you, uh, the organization, the Rainforest Action Network, held protests in New York and San Francisco outside Citigroup offices. And since most of our listeners were likely unable to be there, tell us about what happened at the protests and, and who attended. Sure. So... Uh, as you said, on March 3rd, uh, uh, activists in San Francisco and New York uh, converged on Citigroup's East Coast and West Coast headquarters uh, to call on the bank to stop scavenging coal. Uh, and protesters dressed up as uh, vultures in business suits. We had vulture masks. Uh, we had, you know, uh, fully outfitted banker um, banker vultures um, to uh, spotlight Citigroup's role in a very troubling coal transaction. So we had a number of folks uh, associated with, with Rainforest Action Network and supporters um, show up to Citigroup's world headquarters in New York where um, they staged a, a very uh, very exciting and interesting um, uh, essentially uh, play in front of their headquarters uh, showing Citigroup's role in uh, financing a, a recent coal trans or uh, an ongoing coal transaction that would essentially ab- enable uh, a company called Bowie Resource Partners to buy up three coal, coal mines with almost a quarter billion dollars in coal uh, quarter billion tons in coal reserves and um, keep these mines going. Um, so especially since Citigroup uh, last year promised uh, in a new policy to transition away from financing coal, uh, we see this uh, their involvement in this transaction as very problematic. Um, and supporters, uh, both in person and online, uh, were there to remind the bank they made a promise and they need to stop um, banking the revival of the coal industry um, in the form of this transaction or any other transaction that enables uh, coal mines to be turned back on and to uh, breathe new life into uh, coal mining. 
We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to hear more about what the Rainforest Action Network has been doing, not just with Citigroup, but with some other banks and what uh, the future holds for this movement. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And in just in case you've just tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Ben Collins with the Rainforest Action Network. You can check out their website at www.ran.org. And we're talking about the role that... Uh, bank financing plays in helping the coal industry to continue doing what they're doing. And more importantly, uh, in this segment, we're going to be talking about what the Rainforest Action Network is doing um, to, to put an end to that, to help the nation and the world transition away from dirty energy and transition toward renewable infinite energy in the form of wind and solar. So, Ben, I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about why uh, Citigroup was recently uh, targeted for this protest, and and have you protested other banks in this way? Sure. Well, uh, as I said before the break, um, we're especially concerned about Citigroup's uh, financing um, of Bowie Resource Partners uh, and a particular transaction with that company to help them buy up 
um, three coal mines, uh, one of which is currently shut down, and, and you know to enable this company to continue to mine coal. Uh, we were very concerned about this transaction because it comes right after the major global climate summit in Paris, where the world essentially said we need to get serious about addressing climate change and we need to hold climate change um, to levels where um, it's it's survivable and we can uh, get through it as a planet. So for Citigroup to turn around just after this uh, major conference and finance essentially the revival of uh, a, a number of critical coal mines in the United States really is a step in the wrong direction for the bank and a step in the wrong direction for the U.S. coal industry. Uh, we're also concerned about this transaction because this particular company, they're not just planning on mining coal, they're planning on exporting it through uh, communities right here in the Bay Area. Um, Bowie has proposed a new coal export terminal in Oakland, California to export uh, coal, coal from one of these mines as part of this transaction um, to uh, markets across the Pacific Rim. So this, you know, these terminal development plans have been opposed by community groups um, and Oakland city leadership because, you know, shipping uh, mile-long coal trains through a, a densely populated city is really bad for public health. It's really bad for air quality. Uh, and the community is saying no, but this company is trying to force through a, a really destructive um, a, a coal export terminal at the time when um, that doesn't make financial sense and it doesn't make sense for climate or communities. Um, and one other thing is I know we've talked about the issue of self-bonding and, and subsidizing coal companies in a previous segment, um, but as part of this transaction, uh, Bowie Resource Partners has applied to self-bond these mines, um, which would essentially mean a $300 million subsidy from the federal and state governments to this company. So, uh, you know, Citigroup really has no business financing a transaction that would uh, hurt communities um, and put taxpayers on the hook. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, what about other banks? Have you all protested other banks and done similar work uh, to what you're doing now with Citigroup? Yes. Uh, last year, we uh, uh, finished up a, a long-term campaign against Bank of America on coal. Uh, later in the year, we called out Morgan Stanley um, for lack of uh, for their investments in coal. Both of those banks um, adopted uh, policies to transition away from coal. So, you know, we've been we've been uh, spotlighting other banks across the U.S. So we think it's critical to uh, hold Citigroup accountable when they're moving in the wrong direction on this issue, uh, because you know it's, it's important for, for in interest of fairness and to show that you know we're serious about this issue. And if other banks want to continue to finance coal, they need to know that we're going to call them out on it. Well, not to be devil's advocate, but I did look up the Citigroup policy on financing coal, and it looks like they are transitioning from coal, but that they can still approve financing for coal mining based on a variety of factors. It has to be approved at a very senior level, and they can look at things like ESG performance. How would the purchase of the mining operations that we're talking about violate this policy? Right. So Citigroup's policy essentially says um, we are going to transition away from financing coal mining. Um, and, you know, essentially what, what they're doing here is saying, all right, well, you know, we'll start our diet tomorrow. Today we're going to have one last, you know, pizza and ice cream <laughs> Sunday, and we'll just make it up by eating way better in the future. So uh, we don't think that's, that, that's in, uh, aligned with either the spirit or the letter of what they committed to last year. Um, they committed to reducing their exposure to coal, and this, this transaction increases it. Uh, so it's moving them in the wrong direction. Um, and with the the world's expectations and ambition around uh, addressing climate change ratcheted up at the Paris Climate Conference last year, uh, we can't let 
Citigroup say, all right, well, let's let's take it easy, let's let's ratchet down our expectations. They really need to stop financing coal uh, right now. So this one transaction actually is, is a pretty big deal. Um, and you know, as as I mentioned. Uh, for the last question, even on, you know, if they want to look at the environmental, social, and governance factors at play, uh, they're financing a, a, a company that's a bad actor, that's putting liabilities onto the taxpayer, that's hurting communities in Oakland, uh, in the Bay Area. Um, so, you know, even if uh, they want to say, well, this, this is a responsible operator, the, the facts don't support that claim. I'm curious, Ben, when you all have a protest like you did on March 3rd, you know, how do you measure the success? You know, how do you know if it's made a difference? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And I think uh, my best answer is, is ask me in the year. Um, <laughs> our goal with uh, calling out banks and um, trying to establish, uh, you know, engage in a public dialogue with banks um, through engaging our, act, our activist community and helping and empowering activists to call out banks when they do the wrong thing uh, is to make sure that uh, the financial sector and banks in particular know that coal remains a priority issue that they need to be staying away from. Um, so we think it's important to be consistent, um, to call out banks when they backslide on promises. Uh, so our hope is that um, come next year, we'll see a market decline, if not outright end, to uh, the participation of major Wall Street banks in financing for the coal industry. Uh, these banks have committed to reduce their uh, exposure to coal. We think they need to end it right now. Um, so the closer we can get to that, bringing that coal financing number in lending and other forms of financing to zero, uh, the, the, better, the better off we're going to be. So hopefully that'll be a lot closer to zero a year from now than it was uh, at the beginning of this year. You know, and this is a question that has just come to mind, but, you know, if they were to do that, if they were to do exactly what you said and all the banks were to pull out of the coal industry, you know, even though over the past five years our reliance on coal for electricity has dramatically decreased, it's still pretty significant. What would replace, you know, in your mind that segment of the amount of electricity that we use in America? How would we make up that difference if, you know, everybody said, you know what, Rain Action, uh, Rainforest Action Network, you're right, and we're done. What would we do then? Great question, and uh, I think the bottom line is there are so many unexplored opportunities for an accelerated transition away from high-carbon energy, Um, and uh, there's a lot of great research coming out of Stanford, coming out of other universities around what would a pathway to 100% renewable energy uh, for the United States look like, not not in 50 years, but in, say, 20 years. Mm -hmm. How do we get to uh, 100% renewable, uh, 100% uh, uh, zero carbon energy. And the bottom line is that technology is there. Uh, solar and wind are increasingly competitive. Uh, the, there are a lot of unexplored opportunities around energy efficiency that will get us a long way down that road of reducing our electricity demand and, as well as decarbonizing our electricity supply. And you know, I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that these transitions can't happen overnight. Um, these are uh, there's a lot of infrastructure around the country. There are a lot of you know uh, plants that can't be shut down tomorrow and maintain uh, consistent electricity supply. But what we can hope to do is shift the decision making criteria that 
business leaders, government leaders are making, are, are using to guide their choices around energy from one that says, all right, well, climate change is an issue. We'll, we'll get there eventually to one that says climate change is essential. We need a plan to decarbonize the economy with a deadline uh, that's right around the corner. Uh, and those, that's, that's essentially the, the, the set of decisions that's going to get us to a future where we stabilize the climate. And we can do it uh, at reasonable cost um, if the political will is there and if uh, business leaders step up and say, we're going to do the right thing and we need to get serious about addressing climate change. Absolutely. I am sure that after listening to what you've said, that a lot of our listeners may want to get involved. Um, talk to us about, in the last minute that we have on the show, how our listeners could take action on this issue. Well, you know, Rainforest Action Network, we are a network. Um, we're not just an organization. We, uh, are, we depend on the hard work of our supporters um, and the engagement of our supporters. So check us out at uh, ran.org. That's R-A-N.org. Uh, look us up on Facebook. Um, we have a very active Facebook feed where you can um, follow us along. Um, and if you go to our website, you can uh, sign up to be uh, on our email list where we can uh, reach out to you if, it, if uh, there are opportunities to take action on climate issues, on energy issues, and in all the other issues that, that we're involved with to hold corporations accountable for protecting communities and addressing climate change. Ben, I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for joining us so that we can get up to speed on what you're doing. We really appreciate your work and your time. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. You know, we'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.